0: Rails Coach Podcast, Episode 14: Interview with Chad Fowler, Part Two. Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Rails Coach Podcast. This is your host Charles Maxwood, and uh, this week we're going to play the second half of the interview with Chad Fowler. Um, there are a few things that I want to go over before we get started that are related to the podcast. The first thing is is that. Uh, due to some of the feedback I got on the survey I've had several people request that I release on Tuesdays as opposed to Thursdays or Fridays so I'm gonna make an effort to uh, release uh, consistently on Tuesdays and what that means is that I'm gonna continue to record probably on Wednesday or Thursday night um, but I'll just hold the recordings until Tuesday and then I'll let them loose um, I'm also going to change the format a little bit of the podcast I um, on on the times when I'm actually just talking I'm not interviewing anybody um, I'm just gonna take the first five minutes give announcements kinda like what I'm doing now uh, do a little bit of an intro um, just things like that so that people know what's going on um, and there aren't any surprises if you're a regular listener uh, after five minutes um, I'll take another 10 minutes and I'll go over the topic um, I'm probably gonna just go over whatever I've uh, found in my research or uh, talk about practices that I've done. I'm not going to go into so much my opinion until the next ten minutes, um, and that way we can make sure that we have a full, um, a full idea of of what what goes on, what what makes up the practice or concept that we're talking about uh, before I start giving feedback on what I think about that stuff. Um, so the, all in all, that'll be about uh, twenty minutes together with with the definition and then the you know the opinion discussion. Um, And that's also where I'm going to play your feedback, um, unless you have something that, you know, I feel like belongs in the first part of the the content section. Um, And so if you want to call in and leave your feedback, you can call 801-753-8279. Just do it now. Give your feedback. Next week I'm going to be talking about uh, paired programming. And, uh, so if you have something that you want to say about paired programming, call the line, um, the way it works is it's a Google voice line and I wind up getting an email with your audio clip and I can just put it right into the show. So you know, I'll just play it back and then we'll talk about whatever it is that you said. Um, you can also email me, podcast at railscoach.com. Uh, you can get, hit find me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash railscoach or twitter.com slash charlesmaxwood. Uh, Twitter.com slash Railscoach is stuff related to this show and Charles Maxwood is more just whatever I feel like tweeting at the time. Um, please take the survey. Um, it it's the reason that I'm switching to Tuesdays is because I got a lot of feedback related to that. Um, and I'd re- be really interested in knowing who you are interested in hearing from, uh, what topics you're interested in having me talk about. And, uh, they're really only like four or five questions. Um, most of them you just put check boxes by the things that you think are, you know, or your answers. So you don't even have to type anything except for, you know, when I ask for ideas of who you want me to talk with or what you want me to talk about. Um, finally, um, I'm looking for sponsors, uh, the last, not this last episode with Chad Fowler, but the one before it where I talked about TDD and BDD, um, it has gotten over 600 downloads. Uh, the Chad Fowler in the last week, his that, that first part of the interview got about 200 downloads so far, um, and it's been out for about four or five days. Uh, so I am, I am having people listen to this, and uh, I would be uh, really interested in anyone who thinks they have a product to offer to, to the audience that uh, makes a big difference for them. Um, if you can make a difference to them, then I, you know, I'd be more than happy to talk about it and check out whatever you've got. Um, also, I am trying to get an Edderall recorder. Uh, an Edderall recorder is uh, kind of a handheld uh, recorder. Uh, it takes an SD memory card, and the reason I want it, it—it kind of became painfully apparent to me when I was at Mountain West RubyConf a couple weeks ago—that uh, I was meeting all of these cool people. I mean, Mats was there, James Britt, who does ruby-doc.org, was there, Yehuda Katz, uh, Dan Cub from uh, who does DataMapper, Gregory Brown who wrote uh, Ruby Best Practices, Alistair Cockburn, who uh, is a big Agile guy, he actually signed the Agile manifesto and uh, has been involved with a lot of things like that. You know, it would just be super to be able to sit down, take these guys to lunch, uh, just kind of set that in the middle of the table. And I've heard other recordings done this way and they sound great, but it's not something that I can really do with my laptop and my microphone. So if you want to just donate five bucks to that, um, I figure if I have 60 to 80 people donate about five bucks, uh, that's all it'll take. And then I'll be able to get that and uh, find opportunities to interview people uh, like that. And, you know, maybe I can find my way over to Agile Roots Conference or something like that here in Salt Lake City and uh, interview some people there. Um, I can also take uh, business people or other interested or interesting parties uh, who don't necessarily program but kind of have an insight on uh, how this stuff affects us and how our stuff affects them and do the kind of the same thing. So it would really help with this podcast, and I think it would help me provide better content for you. So I'm going to put a pledgy link up on the site, railscoach.com, and if you head over there, just uh, go over there, give it a click, uh, just give five bucks, and uh, I would I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Um And beyond that, I'm just going to turn the the, the rest of the interview on. Um, I do want to point out, because it kind of picks up in the middle of the conversation, um, but it's after we had a technical glitch that I've edited out. Um, And we're talking about uh, Chad doing things that uh, scare him or make him uncomfortable. And so he's he's talking about his experience with kind of going outside of his comfort zone to become a better programmer and a better person. So uh we'll we'll pick it up there and I'll catch you on the other end and uh do the feedback, recap kind of thing. Thanks.
1: Okay, so the first instance I remember um of of doing this technique actually uh was I was a forklift operator and I worked from five AM to, to noon five days a week and I actually kinda liked it and I got really comfortable doing that. Um and I realized one day that I like being a forklift operator well enough to where I might just do this for, for the rest of my life. And that worried me. So I thought to myself, what would be the least comfortable possible job I could have? Because I need to do something uncomfortable. I'm not ready to settle into a career yet. So I became a waiter at TGI Fridays. And I quit my forklift job. They tried to you know, offer me a salary a job with benefits to stay, day, and I went and I became the worst waiter I've ever witnessed. I was terrible. And I was, I was not only terrible, I was, horrif- well, I was just horrified by it the entire time. Every moment, I was completely uncomfortable. And I think even today, I would be terrible. It would make me so nervous. Uh, but I tried it. And if nothing else, uh, that's the reason I'm not a forklift
0: operator now instead of a computer programmer. So I think it's a good technique.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It makes sense, uh, you know, and, and you learn every time you challenge yourself. So it seems like that's a really good way to go. Um, it sounds like when you talk about your work that you kind of get to pick and choose what you do. You know, you've talked about uh, Ruby and then you've talked about moving to .NET and you, you kind of made it sound like it was your choice. What well, what exactly do you do for work these days? Um, I do a
1: few things, but my my day job is I'm a... Uh, consultant. I work for a small company called InfoEther that uh, is run by actually Rich Kilmer, who's another one of the early Rubyists um, in the West. And yeah, we we do projects. We do Rails projects, Ruby projects, but we've done Java, C Sharp, Mm Objective-C, Erlang. And we typically do get to choose the technology because we're brought in by people who want someone they can trust to, you know, make something that is complex. We don't get brought in to make simple sites and stuff, but you know, they they want someone they can trust to architect the scalable, maintainable solution. Um, so we are free most of the time to choose the tools that work. So, mm-hmm. you know, currently we've got stuff going with, Erlang and uh, reddit mongodb ruby 1.9 and rails 3 we've been doing that since the the beta of rails 3 came out um stuff on rescue.net java etc just you know, mm-hmm. we basically we we get to play with a lot of cool technologies and and use the tools
0: that are right for the job huh well that that sounds pretty fun you just kind of get to pick what you want to do it is a lot of fun. Of course, we also have to do stuff
1: like, um, you know, validation error messages on web forms and stuff mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that we're all very tired of doing. But yeah. that's, that's why they call it a job. Uh, <laughs> and the rest of it makes it worth it. So, yeah, I do that. And then I also, of course, you know, I do the Ruby Central thing. We're organizing RailsConf in Baltimore and uh, the 10th Ruby Conference this year. And I also teach for the Pragmatic Studio, and with that, I do training with Dave Thomas of the Pragmatic Programmers, and we teach everywhere from intro to advanced
0: Ruby and Rails stuff. Oh, wow. So, uh, do you have time for anything else? No, I don't even have time for that.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I went to food camp um, a few years ago, and... Uh, it's a camp that, or a conference that O'Reilly runs. It's one of the first unconference thingies, uh-huh. and I met several people who, who had heard about me and wanted to talk to me. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I, I'm not expecting anyone to even know who I am here. And the reason they wanted to talk to me is they were authors and they had heard that I had written a book while having a full-time job. <laughs> and they just wanted to know how I did. And the funny thing is, at the same time. I was writing Rails Recipes, which is the book they were talking about. I was also organizing the first Rails conference back in 2006 and helping to organize RubyConf in 2006. That year, I completely burned myself out, and I learned a really important lesson Mm
2: -hmm. that
1: totally ties into what we're talking about, and that is that this whole idea of passion, I lost it that year. By the end of that year, I was completely drained of passion and what I learned was that passion is like a renewable resource, uh, a renewable energy source, kind of. Um, but it renews at a fixed rate. So you can definitely burn it way faster than you can grow it. Right. And, and I kind of screwed myself up for at least a couple of years. It, it took a long time to recover from doing all
0: those things all at once. So I'm trying to learn to be more intelligent about that now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That makes sense. And uh, it, it's, it's funny, too, the things that, that build that passion up and the things that, you know, that, that wear it out. And sometimes they're not very different. I mean, you know, I went, last year I went to RailsConf, I went to RubyConf, I went to Mountain West RubyConf. Um, you know, I, I get involved wherever I can. And a lot of those things really fire me up. And yeah, and then sometimes getting involved in all that stuff, you know, it's just, you just wear yourself out, and by the time you're done, you're just like, I don't even want to think about programming for a week. Yeah, exactly. It, you,
1: I think what happens is you train yourself to follow good um, opportunities, mm-hmm. and when you get good enough at that, you, you find more and more of them. And at a certain point, you have to realize that you have this value rigidity, which says, Follow all good opportunities, but you have to stop doing that at some point because, right. you know, you do, you do a good enough job at it and you get too many good opportunities. Um, and I think, you know, that was what was happening to me. And this year I've actually intentionally put a ban on travel for myself unless it's essential. Because um, I think last year I was home only 25% of the time because I was wow. going from conference to conference. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm trying very consciously to control whatever factors
0: I can this year. That makes sense. Now I'm going to go ahead and uh, turn on to kind of another area of discussion. Um, what development practices do you prefer? And, and I'm talking about everything from, you know, testing and coding practices to uh, things like Agile and, uh, and things like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm probably. If there is an average Ruby developer, I'm
1: probably it. I, I believe in test-driven development uh, because it, it motivates me. I, I don't call it behavior-driven development, but the way I do it is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I pretty much always write tests first and and then write code, and I want there to be 100% test coverage. I like continuous integration. I like agile methodologies more than. Than rigid, static methodologies. Um, I don't know. I like things to be dynamic, and mm-hmm. I like things to be kind of harnessed, provable, automated, um, and repeatable. Mm-hmm. So I try to build that into everything I do, whether it be you know building rate tasks for everything, to um, using something like Puppet or Chef to to set up deployment environments. Right. Um, I, I worked with a guy named Bruce Williams on my first Rails job, and he's still out in the world doing awesome stuff with Ruby. Um, our boss, who was the owner of the company, after about a month of working with us and having us kind of give him progress reports on what we were doing, he joked at one point that we were going to write a rake task that would build the rest of the app so that we could go skiing, <laughs> because it just seemed like we were automating every possible thing. Which, of course,
0: he liked. So, I don't know. What do you like to do in terms um, of practices? It really depends. I mean, I have worked in shops where um, we did a lot of pairing. In fact, my boss is on my case. Uh, he, he got on my case a, a day or so ago about pairing because I wasn't doing enough of it. And, uh, you know... It, it really depends. I mean, sometimes if I'm working on something, I just prefer to do it by myself, and sometimes I prefer to, you know, have somebody look over my shoulder and work with me on it. Um, but I'm kind of the same as far as, uh, um, you know, test-driven development. I I think that's the best thing ever. Um, honestly, it really just... It, it forces me to think about things before I write crappy code. And right. so then I write better crappy code, because I wrote my test first. Um <laughs> you know and it's yeah,
1: yeah. you know i was going to say that i don't really care if someone does test driven development but the caveat is as long as their code still looks like they did test driven development <laughs> which usually is not the case because when people don't do test driven development they write untestable code right. which usually means you know, way too coupled and poorly structured and wrong levels of abstraction all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, some some developers can do it. Like um, Rich Kilmer, who I work with, he isn't a test-driven development zealot, but he writes code that looks like test-driven code. Um, Dave Thomas is the same way. He writes code and he writes tests. He, doesn't, he does it in that order. Uh, he's way into automated testing, but not so much into the write a test, write some code kind of philosophy. But his code still has that. You know that structure. He's thinking about it the same way, and I think that's what's important. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'm I'm also way about the. I I love the automation. Honestly, when somebody asks me to do something with the code or the code base, um, I'm very very tempted to look at them and go, "Is there a button that you can hit that <laughs> will do that for you?" <laughs> and uh, if there's not, then. You know, I I pretty much spend the rest of the day while I'm coding in the back of my mind thinking about how I can justify to my boss the time to write the button that will do that task. So, you know, I mean, I, I really like to just heads down code. And, uh, you know, since I've been a systems administrator, you know, a lot of times the deployment and other tasks fall to me. And so, you know, I mean, things like uh, Astrano and things like that where, you know, it basically does. I just set up the recipe and you click the button. You know, that that really appeals to me because, you know, I it's not that I don't enjoy the systems administration stuff, but, you know, if I have to go and run the script every time, you know, it, it, it just totally interrupts my flow. And uh, I'd rather be coding. So, you know, just things like that. You know, I... I would say that uh, all in all, I agree with most of the things that uh, the Ruby community espouses. But at the same time, you know, I get a little more passionate about some of them than, than the Ruby community does, you know. Yeah. And, and that's really one of them where it's like, look, just <laughs> I'll give you a button. Don't bug me.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way. And I uh, I don't get dogmatic about any of them. Like mm-hmm. I really enjoy pair programming, but if you don't like doing that, I don't think that makes you any worse as a developer than me, you know? Um, Uh, and I don't always do it. Although a lot of that is because I work from the basement most of the time when Mm -hmm. I'm programming and there's nobody here except for me and the dogs in the basement. Uh, but yeah, I think one of the issues with like our, our passionate Ruby community, we are a very zealous, passionate group and, you know, compared to some others, um, Partially I think because we're we're on average younger than other programming communities, but um it's also probably because of, you know, the leadership of people like David Heinmeyer Hansen. The the downside of that is we all get on these kicks of using tools, using processes and kind of cargo them. Um and you know, I don't think there's quite enough critical thinking about um these various practices and tools, you can you can
0: choose to to do things in moderation, and they're still good.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's it's very true, and it's it's interesting because I have found that in certain in certain shops, certain practices work, and in other shops, the those practices don't work. But because they worked in the last shop somebody worked in, that's the way people do things, and it a lot of times it gets in the way. And so i I really feel like you know figuring out what works for you makes a lot of sense, and uh, you know it it seems like you kind of think the same way where you know if you don't agree with the way I do things, that's fine, you know if it works for you, but your code better look good. yeah,
2: exactly,
1: And not only that, but you better communicate well with the mm-hmm. team, play well with others, you know you better be willing to to bend if you don't like indenting two spaces or whatever, but that's mm-hmm. what everyone's doing, just do it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I complain about people being overzealous, but then I'm reminded on some of our consulting and training engagements that I would take the overzealous software crazy who has <laughs> strong opinions and loves what they do over the average developer any day, because the average developer doesn't even know what Git is, for example. Right. And You know, if you're if you're still using CVS, there should at least be a reason for it, as opposed to you hadn't you hadn't thought about it. Right. Um, you know, if if you're not using Git, let it be because you hate Git for some reason, not because you have no idea what it is and you never would consider it. You know. But it, so it's amazing. Like I, I spend so much time around Type A programmers, you know, the alpha geeks mm-hmm. that I forget that most people are not like that. And I I need to remember to be thankful for them, even the ones that annoy me.
0: <laughs> it's true. So I'm going to ask you: um, when you say that your code better look like it was test driven, what are you looking for there? What 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 are you looking for in good code? Probably the number one,
1: you know, if I can nail it down to something we can actually say on a podcast like this, mm-hmm. um, the number one thing is about um, levels of abstraction and method or function of decomposition. Um, and the, the thing that I always point to, and a number of people I know always point to, to describe how to do this is Kent Beck's um, Small to Talk Best Practice Patterns book. He, he says, to paraphrase probably somewhat incorrectly, that the way you know how to decompose methods is that everything in a method should be at the same level of abstraction. Mm-hmm. Um, what that translates to in the practice for me is I start at a level, and um, every method is small, or every function, depending on what language I'm in, mm-hmm. and I I imagine the perfect API, and by perfect I mean the best possible API I can imagine that someone else might have written for me. So if I needed to accomplish this task, and I was really really lucky, what what would I be able to call here? And I just type it, and it doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. And then I go to the next level, and I implement that the same exact way. I say, well, what if the perfect underlying API for this part already existed? What would it be? Um, to me, that is the essence of test-driven development or behavior-driven development, but it's also the essence of good method or function decomposition.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Then you, know, you just always imagine that the perfect thing already exists, you delegate to it, and then you go implement it, and you do that recursively until there's nothing else to code.
0: That makes sense. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that makes it easy to test and, and easy to dig into. Right. Um, one other thing that uh, jumped out at me that somebody said at Mountain West Recon, somebody pointed out that there was no reason to read other people's code. How do you feel about that, and what do you or don't you get out of reading other people's code? Uh,
1: that sounds like a completely asinine statement to me. I don't know who said that, but don't tell me because then it'll will be me insulting them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, to me, code is prose. Um, you know, it's it's a cliche to say that we write code for other other programmers first, and, and other programmers, including ourselves, and the computer second, um, because computers are fast and they know how to process the ugliest of stuff. Mm-hmm. But programmers are not getting any faster or any better over time. So, if my job is to write prose for other people, and I never read prose for other people, I'm not going to be very good at it, most likely. You know, there's a rare case that maybe I could, mm-hmm. but you know, in any other discipline, whether it be art or literature. Or music, an important part of the study to improve your own craft is to, uh, with a critical eye, um, evaluate other people's work. Either you know find things you love, find things you you hate, find things that confused you, and ask yourself why they confused you. Mm-hmm. Because as you start doing this, the the patterns that emerge from that. And I don't mean like design patterns with names like the factory pattern, but you know, the, the abstract patterns that emerge and start to build in your own mind will inform the code you write and it will make it better. Right. So I don't know. I can't imagine thinking that, that you don't need to read other people's code to be a better programmer.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I just I just wanted to make sure I wasn't insane. Um you know I I I do have one more question for you. Um I I see a lot of things about you in the community as far as like organizing the conferences and um you know some some of these other things, you know, like your books. Um do you have any open source code that people um are using at the moment? Yeah. Um I was one of the people who made Ruby gems
2: um right, so that's that.
1: that's probably the one that the most people are using since pretty much everybody is using it that's using ruby or rails um that was for a long time it was mostly me and jim Wyrick working on it you know it was initially me jim rich Kilmer, david black and paul Brannan, i think was the, the group that got together at rubyconf 2003 and built the first version of it um and over the years it's been lots of different people and these days I don't really work on it. Eric Hodel has done a heroic effort on making you know, huge improvements to it and, mm-hmm. and managing it. Um, so there's that. Uh, I also wrote a library called Facebooker, which people use to do Facebook development with Ruby.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, again, that one Mike Mangino took over and actually wrote a book about about doing Facebook development with it. Uh, I guess I've written a few other things. I always forget, and I've contributed to other projects as well. Um, early days, I did contributions to Rails, um, including stuff like rewriting script plugin when it first came out so mm-hmm. that you could do things like install without having subversion installed. Um, somehow, I ended up being the guy who did Windows compatibility stuff on Rails early on. <laughs> and anything where Rails touched Ruby gems early on, but, um, these days I've kind of made myself busy doing other things and haven't
0: done as much open source stuff as I'd like. That's something I kind of want to get back into. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard of Facebooker, but yeah, I've always seen, uh, um, what's his name? Mike. I've seen yeah, his Mike name. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Ruby gems, I think your and jims and i think the original four or five guys that worked on it i think i think all those names are still associated with it but but yeah um so i have two more questions and then i'm going to let you go uh the first one is um we have a lot of new developers that listen to this podcast Um, what recommendations would you make for somebody that's really new to ruby or to programming in general? Oh, you said new developers. It sounded like new developers when you said it at first. <laughs> that
1: was, that's an interesting demographic. Um, <laughs> so for new developers, recommendations, uh, a big one would be read a lot of code. Um, yeah, read a lot of code. Write code. Um, here, here's a good tangible thing. Stu Halloway, who works at Relevance as another consultancy, he had this session that he used to run with various people from Relevance called Refactotum. And in Refactotum, the whole thing was about helping you learn to contribute to open source by refactoring based on test coverage holes. Mm -hmm. And so I would recommend as a new-ish developer, um, Google up Refactotum, R-E-F-A-C-T-O-T-U-M, um, and particularly the whole thing is you, you get an open source project that you think is interesting, probably one that's not Rails or you know the most popular thing out there. Run, run it through RCOV or code coverage tool if you're in another language. Look for the parts of the code that are not covered. Write tests for that part of the code. In doing that, you will end up having to refactor the code because usually the parts of the code that aren't covered are the ones that are messiest can mm-hmm. contribute one more assertion um, and post it as a patch and then just keep doing that either on the same project or multiple projects and you will
0: learn a lot. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and then the other question I have is uh, what ways do you recommend that people get involved in the community? Oh, there, there are so many different ways.
1: Um, regional, it really depends on what kind of person you are, you know, like, I always say I'm kind of like a glorified secretary for the Ruby community. Um, not the secretary, but one of them, you know, I do these sort of organizational things. And, um, and that's good because not everybody likes to do that. So organizing conferences and whatever. So, you know, you could contact your local user, users group or conference, regional conferences, um, and try and help with that. Or, you know, do what the original regional conference organizers did and start one in your area or start a user group. Um but you know, there are different things you can, of course, contribute to open source projects, you know, help with test coverage. Uh, we're at a really good point right now with Rails 3 and Ruby 1.9 coming out, um, not coming out, sort of out, but not in wide circulation to help with identifying issues with compatibility. So you know, try running all your stuff on the bleeding edge software and then help the maintainers of that software fix problems and incompatibilities and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another kind of downplayed one is stuff like the ruby mailing list people like uh, david allen black have made a name for themselves by just consistently doing a great job of providing support to other programmers on the ruby talk mailing list you know it's amazing the level of support you can get there being one of those people just Look for questions that come in, and even if you don't know the answer, research it and see if you can answer, see if you can be the one to help somebody.
0: That makes sense. Um, So if people want to come to one of the conferences like uh, RailsConf or RubyConf, where do they go to sign up? Uh, For RailsConf, you can go to
1: railsconf.org, and it will redirect you to some long O'Reilly URL, Um, and registration is open for that now, so you can register now. And I guess we're still in the early bird time period, so it's cheaper. Um, RubyConf, we haven't opened registration yet. The best thing to do would be to follow RubyConf on Twitter. We will soon announce our dates and locations for um, RubyConf 2010. And we're we're really excited about the location this year. We think people
0: are going to love it. But you're not going to mention what that is? No, but it's somewhere in the south. Okay. I'll take it. Um, and, uh, again, if people want to follow you or keep up with what's going on with you, the best way to do that is your website, which is,
1: yeah, it's probably either my website, dot or Twitter, Chan Fowler. Um,
0: I'm pretty bad about updating my website these days. So
1: <laughs> Twitter probably best.
0: All right. Well, great. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and, uh, We've got a ton of good content. I'm probably going to have to split it into two episodes. So, uh, yeah, again, I'm kind of verbose. Sorry about that. No, no, it's really good. I, I think we got a lot of good stuff that uh, a lot of people will be interested to hear. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate it. And, uh, thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you. It was fun. All right, so that'll do it for uh, the interview with Chad. Um, Just a few things. Once again, I'm going to be releasing on Tuesdays. I'm probably not going to release an episode this next Tuesday, but the Tuesday after I will be releasing an episode. Uh, We'll be talking about pair programming, so uh, call in with your questions or comments, 801 753 Eight two seven nine, and uh, leave your feedback and uh, we'll, we'll play it on the show we'll, we'll get some good stuff going some good uh, conversations going also feel free to go to the site uh, I do appreciate any donations towards getting that recorder so that I can really provide you with the best content when, when it comes up and uh, that's pretty much all I have so uh, I'm just going to wrap it up here um, take the time to listen to it I'm probably going to play this one back a couple of times because Chad just covered some great stuff And, uh, you know, feel free to poke around, see what else you've got. And if you have any suggestions, uh, leave the feedback and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll definitely take it into account or take the survey and, uh, that's it.